Hello and welcome to episode 6 of the Commonweal Policy Podcast. I'm the Commonweal's Head of Policy and Research, Craig Dale, and today I'm joined by Peter Ryan, who this week has published a policy paper with us, Paying Our Way. Hello, Peter. Hello. So, fancy first just telling us a bit about yourself and why, uh, what you do and why you're interested in uh, the things that you've been writing for us. Um. Well, I've been working in financial services for nearly 30 years now, and I you know, started off in, in the IT side and worked through product management. But recently, I've been working more in, in the policy side and, and working with particularly the European Banking Authority on, on new banking initiatives um, from a regulatory and compliance um, perspective. Yep. So... May as well start at the beginning. Tell us a little bit about your paper, Paying Our Way. Um, Paying Our Way is really a, a paper looking at how we pay for things in Scotland. Um, you know, there's, there's debit cards, credit cards, uh, online payments through people like PayPal, and plus, of course, cash, which is the most commonly used method of payment. Yep. And trying to find other better ways of, of doing this. Because at the moment, we often look at um, payments as being something that that, the financial services do, that banks do. But increasingly, that's not going to be the case because you have people like Apple Pay, Google Pay coming into this market. And in in Asia, you have Alipay doing doing the equivalent thing. These are all the apps on your mobile phone and other other ways of making your your, your payments as well. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, for example, Amazon in in the US, you know, you buy something on Amazon in in this country, you pay by PayPal or you pay by by debit card. In in the US, they've, they've introduced their own way of paying through Amazon Pay, and they would they would that would increase their profits because what they would do is rather than paying for Visa or MasterCard to process the payment, they'd be doing it themselves. So what's, what are the costs involved in these, these transactions typically? Well, the costs themselves are, are low for each transaction. Um, typically, you know, 0.5%, 1%. But if you're a, a small um, independent retailer or, you know, uh, uh, a small market store, you could end up paying up to two, three, four, five percent to to process a card payment, and that is then a, a cost to not just the retailer but also the Scottish economy because that's money that's that's le- leaving the local economy. So, what what in your paper? What's what's your proposed? fixed to this what you're trying to improve well my proposed fixed is to introduce a Scottish payment initiation service now um, that may sound quite radical but it's it's working on legislation that was brought in by the, the current UK government the, the payment services regulation which is based on a payment services directive from the European Union. And what that allows um, companies or organisations to do is to start processing the payments themselves rather than relying on 
Visa or Mastercard to do it for them. So this would be the Scottish government giving an alternative uh, to the, the likes of Amazon Pay, or is this trying to replace that market altogether? Well, the, the initial thought was that the Scottish government processes payments and you know for fines, for for taxes, and, and so on. And at the moment, they're paying Visa or Mastercard to do that for them. And of course, these are U.S. companies. The the profits from those processing are leaving Scotland. And if this, if the Scottish government set up their own payment initiation scheme, that in the same way that Amazon are setting up their own payment service, then this would allow the Scottish government to, to, to retain that money, that money that would be lost in, in transaction fees. And it, it would still have a cost to it. Obviously, there's still IT um, and p- personnel costs. But those costs will be paid to people working within Scotland, within the local local economy. So... It, the tax revenues from those those employees would then feed back to the Scottish government. So ultimately, the the, the Scottish government, instead of losing money through processing of payments, would be able to keep more of it themselves. Yes, this is almost like a, a classic win-win. We're we're, get, we're getting to capture some of the, the value that's being extracted from profits, but we're also providing jobs within the country. Those jobs are. Um, providing people with income, people are spending that income in the shops and, and generating more demand in the economy. Yes. Yeah. Um, so we've talked about the card payments. Is this some sort of cashless society plan? Is this uh, where we're eventually going with um, this idea? No. It, I mean, it, we have to be quite careful about looking at cashless society. Cash is used by primarily by, by the most vulnerable people in our society. It's, it's used to, 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 to budget for people who are, uh, you know, who have the least money. And I think we, we shouldn't just rush to a cashless society just because it, it suits the banks, because it does suit the banks. It, it, it costs them less to process electronic card payments than, than cash. Um, we, we need to keep... Uh, a society that works for everyone. So looking at cash, um, the issue with cash is its availability, and there's been a number of reports about closing ATMs in, in poorer communities. So what I would look to do with the Scottish Payments Initiation Service is use it as a replacement for ATMs. So if that you wanted to withdraw cash, you could withdraw cash through through shops or cafes or, or pubs um, directly rather than going to an ATM. Because the problem with ATMs at the moment is they're run for profit. And the solution at the moment seems to be for ATMs which aren't being used in rural locations is to subsidise the ATM provider to keep it open rather than subsidise people in the local economy um, through the use of, say, paying the shopkeeper to to allow people to withdraw money rather than, than keeping an ATM open. So 
most people will be familiar with ATMs that directly charge users, uh, often ATMs outside pubs and clubs that can charge you £2 per transaction to take your money yeah. out. Um, but a lot of ATMs don't charge you. Um, so is there any fees associated with them? Who's pay, paying for those, well, their upkeep? All, all ATMs charge. Um, it's just who they charge. So the, the ATMs that advertise a fee charge the person withdrawing the cash all ATMs would also charge the bank concerned and there are different charging rates based on whether it's outside a branch um, outside a shop or in a more rural location and it gets progressively um, higher the, the charges in the more rural um, and less used the location so banks are being charged those fees and they ultimately pass them on to the bank account holders, you or you and I, um, through through other fees like overdraft fees. Hmm. Uh, one of the, the the things in your paper that I did actually raise a bit of a smile at, and because I hadn't really realised this was the, the case, was a lot of these ATMs they charge the bank when they when you, they they give you the money, but they also charge you when you ask for a a, a balance um, and. <laughs> This is why often these ATMs are quite encouraging, asking you if you want to see your balance. Yeah, the ATM operators are there to make money, to make a profit. And they that that's fine if everyone's clear that's what they're doing and they're available 24 hours a day and people want to carry on, on using them. And the ATM operator would say, if I get a request for a balance, I have to do some work. I have to call the bank and get a response from them. Um, but the, the issue is that there are increasingly communities that are cut off from the source of cash. And when that happens, it impacts um, the local economy. And that's what I'm more interested in, how yeah. we keep local economies going rather than necessarily closing down a really busy uh, ATM you know, in, the, in the central Glasgow. Yeah. So you mentioned earlier that the possibility of, of using this payment system um, and allowing shopkeepers to, to uh, give cash to customers using it instead of the ATMs. Is that similar to the, the current sort of cashback schemes or is, is well, there other distinctions there? The issue with the cashback schemes is cashbacks are... Um, whenever you use a debit or credit card, then the, the shopkeeper will get charged. There will, will be a charge on that. So a cashback scheme will have a charge to the shopkeeper. And that's why typically you can only have cashback after you made a purchase because otherwise it's not, um, it doesn't make it, it's a cost to the shopkeeper rather than them, them making some money. My suggestion would be, in the same way that ATMs currently charge banks, we should have a similar fee that's given to the shopkeeper for pro processing the withdrawal of cash so that local, local shopkeepers, for doing the work, get some income. Is there anywhere that already does this or does something similar? Um, there, there has been, um, Lloyds are, are trialling it at the moment, they did, recently did an announcement in the UK. Um, in Austria it's already done in some rural communities in, you know, in, the, in the Alps for example, where 
they face similar difficulties with, with transport, with low population density that are faced in, in some of the more rural areas of Scotland? Well, this, this is one of the, the big issues that is hit in Scotland, especially in the finance uh, finance world, where we, we've been losing our bank branches yeah. um, uh, and we're, we're, we're told this is because of low demand, but it's okay because everyone will have an ATM and now we're losing the ATMs. So, um, I mean, what is the very real impact in in rural areas when they do lose a source of sort of money handling? Well, it, if it means people have to use, you know, effectively to travel to go to get money, so they have to use money to withdraw money, um, and it's it, it goes back to why people use cash. If you if you use to make all your payments by credit card or debit card, it's very easy to go into debt. You don't, you know, if the bank will allow you to, to go overdrawn and many banks are quite happy to because they, they obviously make some, some income from that, then, you know, that's fine. And it's fine if you're affluent. But for many people, having cash allows, you, allows them to budget. It's something physical in front of you. When there is no more of it, that's it. You've, you've, you've spent your money. And having the physical cash allows you to control what you spend money on, which is why a number of people, even, even if they have a bank account, prefer to do their day-to-day transactions in, in cash. I have to say I did raise a, a bit of a smile uh, last year uh, when I was sitting in a queue for a shop and uh, I'm, I'm quite a fan of cash and I was trying to buy something and Visa had gone down over most of Europe for several hours, and I think I was the only one in the shop who had enough cash on me to 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 to, to make my purchase. But I mean, they, that example of Visa going down is actually another reason for the, the if the Scottish government has as a Scottish payment initiation service, they have a have a greater control over the the. the the difficulties um, of supporting a cashless society, because they they were any card operator, Visa, Mastercard, are there to make a profit. They are, they so they will minimise their costs, mm. which may cause some IT failures. Um, and we've seen these with, with banks as well. If the Scottish Payment Initiation Service is set up by the government to support the economy to ensure that the economy carries on running it removes that systemic risk of a if a commercial card company running the economy and as well as minimizing costs there's always that incentive to maximize profits as well just before we came in here we were discussing a story that's uh, in the guardian today about about Mastercard and, and them overcharging. Um, do you want to talk a little about that? Yeah, um, Mastercard. Um, these the the fees that the Mastercard charge for processing payments made through a Mastercard debit or credit card, known as interchange fees. The there's a there's a class action that's been taken against Mastercard, um, which suggests they overcharged um, retailers these fees which has then, for the last 20 or so years, which has then caused 
the prices in our in shops for everyone to rise. And so that's both people who use MasterCard and people who don't use MasterCard. Now, based on this class action, everyone in, in the UK could be due £300. So this is the sort of money we're talking about that's being lost to to local economies. And if we keep that money within the local economies, keep it um, within Scotland, it will boost the whole economy. Yeah, because if you can imagine that if we are an economy of two and we're trading amongst each other, we're trading by cash or with very or with zero fees, that yeah. money is just going between us. But if there's someone standing in the way of that every time and a little bit of money is getting sliced off and moving out of the country with every transaction, it might not be much per transaction, but that will mount up over time. Yeah, I mean over the you know, the months and years, you know, it it, it does it does impact the economy. Yeah. And it impacts the smaller retailers more than the larger retailers. If you're a big supermarket chain or a big online retailer, even if you don't want to do have your own payment system like Amazon do, um, you're going to have lower fees. If you're Tesco's, Sainsbury's, Asda, you'll negotiate to have lower fees because of the volume of your transactions compared to the the small independent retailer, the small shop in a in a rural village, they will be paying higher fees. So there it's an unbalanced economy. It's it's helping the big retailers and is is creating a, an unlevel playing field. Mm-hmm. And if we're going to, if we want to stop the the decimation of our high street for all the the independent shops closing, we need to have a level playing field. And one of the ways of doing this is the cost of of processing payments should be the same across all retailers. Yeah, certainly the the owner of my local corner shop is. Uh, um, has been complaining to me recently about the charges he faces yes. with this sort of thing so I'm, I'm going to take a copy of the paper in um, to, to, to see what he thinks of it um, now we've talked about this as a, an idea that the Scottish Government can do just now with the powers of devolution but we're also in the, the, the realm of constantly talking about independence and the prospects there and one of the big hot button topics is currency um, uh, and it is how we how we could be paying our bills in an independent Scotland, how we could create the currency in an independent Scotland. You, Peter, have written several papers um, on this topic for Commonweal. I'll link to them below in the in the description to this podcast. So what does this paper say about some of the prospects that this initiation service could, could mean for the currency debate? Well, introducing the currency is a process. We, you know, in a modern... Uh, digital economy such as Scotland's economy we've we've moved beyond the the days of when the Czech Republic and Slovakia split and you put a stamp on a on a banknote to 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 distinguish if it was a Slovakian or a Czech banknote these days if you make a change to any taxation or rules you need to give time to update all the IT so they if we introduce a currency, there are a series of steps to be carried out. One of these would obviously be the payment system, how you pay in shops, and 
if we introduce a Scottish payment initiation service before independence, before um, before we did make a decision to introduce a new currency, it would already be there. It would already be there under the, the Scottish government's control. They're not dependent on other commercial organisations. And so it, it, it simplifies the introduction of a new currency. So, yeah, well, one of the arguments we've heard is that if we try to introduce a new currency, then the banks or financial institutions might not might not cooperate and there would be no alternative for Scottish citizens to, to transfer to the new currency. So would this be a way of, of providing that alternative and incentivising yeah. that change? Yeah, I mean, because you know, the, the Scottish currency banknotes would be produced by the, the Scottish Central Bank if there was a Scottish Payment Initiation Service, you could withdraw the the banknotes from um, from your local shop, or just use the, the Payment Initiation Service to do your transactions in the new Scottish currency. And all of that infrastructure would would then be be in place. Yeah. So you mentioned that the. the Czechoslovakia, and that's sometimes cited as an example uh, of countries that have set up currencies very quickly after independence. Um, Slovakia didn't they launch their currency in a month? Yeah, as, but there's yeah, as as, a, as I mentioned before, there's there is a there's a a process to go through, and in a in a digital economy, then if the Scottish government is introducing a new tax, a new regulation. They don't introduce it, and it takes effect at midnight. You know, they would give it six months, a year notice, so that IT systems can be changed and updated, and and so on. Now, when when they they're into doing this, they often have consultations with with IT experts just to have some some timing for this. Now, for the introduction of a new currency. Obviously, financial markets and the reaction of financial markets will will be a risk to the new currency. So, there's a fairly defined process. It's come out of um, the introduction of the euro and, and changes of currencies in Eastern Europe after the fall of communism. And if the financial markets feel that you're not following the defined process that is adding to risk for the new currency. And obviously, an, any increase of risk is looked on as, as, as a bad thing by financial markets. And so they may then mark down any, any new Scottish currency. So I think we, we, should, we shouldn't rush into um, saying we can introduce a currency in six months, a year because I think in the long run that will give us more problems than taking the time, giving ourselves the space to mitigate risk. In, in, but by saying that, that doesn't mean we have to wait 10 years to introduce a new currency. What I'm looking at is saying there are things we can do now, such as introducing a, a, a new payment initiation system or even having a a competition for the design of a new currency that will help the introduction of a new currency. And we can do those things before independence as part of an independence campaign shortly after independence. So when the decision is made to introduce a currency, it is then 
on the basis of a number of steps that had already been carried out mm. and therefore the the actual process of introducing a currency is is sh- shorter because of the preparation that's already been done. I'm always quite intrigued with the, the idea of, of having that design contest. It, it seems like it's almost a little bit way down the list when, after all the, the, the hard technical stuff is done. But for me, the symbols that you put in your currency, the people, the places, the message you put on, on, on these notes and coins is a a way of, of cementing confidence in the currency, but it's also a way of projecting your vision of your country on the world as an advert for your country in many ways. Well, we, some of the, the, the Baltic states prior to independence, before even the fall of the, the Berlin Wall, were having these competitions about what a new currency would look mm. like. And it, it was a way of encouraging support. It also gives the, the general public the idea of what a new currency would look like, what the new country would feel like, and, and so on. So it, it, it gives people time to adjust you know, to the idea of a new currency. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good place to wrap up. The only thing to say now is, well, first, thank you to, to Peter for coming along and talking to us. Uh, I'll have links to his latest paper and all his previous work uh, for Commonweal in the description bar to this podcast. The, the last thing to say is that Commonweal uh, is an organisation that is completely dependent on folk like your, like yourselves giving us £5, £10 a month. We, we don't get government money or corporate sponsorship or adverts to sustain us. So if you like what we're doing, if you like the policies that we're producing and you want to help support us in producing more of them, I'll leave a link to the, the donate button uh, on our webpage that you can come along and you can join us and Help support, uh, help support us in our quest to building a better Scotland. So thank you and I'll see you next week.